Hey guys, uh, good evening and happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Um, I do various things, uh, including a newsletter, jessesingle.substack.com, and a uh, podcast, lockerreport.org. We just had our first uh, sort of regular one with me and Katie Herzog in a while, so check that out. Although it's available for premium subscribers now uh, for everyone on Monday. Um, I'm mostly just going to take your calls today. I want to talk a little bit about like the evolution of uh, Elon Musk Twitter discourse. It's just the extent to which people can just like will stuff into existence, will narratives into existence. So there's like one article or one person suggesting Twitter would get delisted from the Apple, the Apple store or the Android store. Based on nothing, but just their feeling that now there's going to be a lot more harassment or, or uh, Musk has unbanned the wrong people. Um, and that just becomes like a, a multi-day news event to the point of, of Musk feeling like he – I mean Musk feels like he has to respond to everything. Musk talking about making a new phone to circumvent that. And there's a level of just like exhaustion and untetheredness from reality and – it's the sort of information environment that incentivizes like hysterical actors and people with the loudest, most attention getting takes imaginable. Because, you know, if you say something crazy or provocative enough, no one's going to really like risk just sitting on their hands and not responding to it and seeing if it bears out because everyone feels like they have to respond to everything. So uh, I continue to be demoralized. Like, you know, I don't, I don't follow tech that closely. I don't know much, that much about the situation inside Twitter, obviously, but I, I feel like I just can't really trust the vast majority of the stuff I'm seeing. It's like the pile of garbage you have to dig through to get to actual journalism and commentary is just getting taller and taller by the day and, and every new controversy gets worse. Um, so yeah, that was bad. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention, um, we're going to do a premium episode about it, but some of the discourse surrounding the Colorado shooter, um, there's just an episode of On the Media where Brooke Gladstone had uh, – and On the Media has been really bad on this issue for a long time on, on youth gender medicine stuff. They have Joe Yurkuba Yer on who's a uh, staffer at NBC for I guess they're like identities um, vertical – and uh, she says with a straight face that like part of what contributed to the environment um, or what she's hearing from activists, a part of what contributed to the environment that allowed the shooting to take place is outlets like the New York Times uh, running articles questioning puberty blockers and hormones. So we're at the point where people are saying with a straight face or platforming other or, or sympathetically echoing other people saying that. If you have questions about puberty blockers or hormones, you're contributing to an atmosphere that led to five people getting murdered. And there's a extent to which like craziness that used to be restricted to Tumblr and Twitter is leaking into mainstream once respected outlets. Um, I don't know, man. I had listened to on the media for years and, and maybe it was just always as bad. Maybe this is the lesson here is like all these institutions were always shitty. I think they've gotten a lot worse and I don't know how in late 2022 you can possibly argue there's no actual controversy here. If you listen to the clip in question, which we'll probably talk about on our next premium episode, your Cuba, like, you know, she says like, oh, this problem of treating this as a 50-50 issue, which I guess by which she, she or they mean 
like 50% of doctors are for these treatments and 50 are against, but that's not, that's not how like medical controversies work. I don't think anyone has said, oh, exactly 50%, but, but there's genuine controversy here. And it's like, to know there's controversy, all you have to do is do very basic reporting and due diligence so that someone like your Kula can um, come to be seen as an authority on this to the point where they get to be the voice of this issue on, on the media is such a bad sign. Um, uh, I'll take, I'll, I've got more to say. I continue to be very thankful for Substack because there's obviously a market for, for being the voice of reason, um, but it's just, it's so bad. I'm going to take Joey. Other people should get in the queue because there's no one else in the queue. Joey, what's up? Joey, say something. Maybe Joey's an actual dog, and that's the problem. Joey, if you get back in the queue, I'll bump you to the front. Um, Mickey, what's up? Mickey, can you hear me? Yes. Now you sound very loud. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. That's weird. Uh, you sound different now that I'm in the... That's strange. Anyway, um, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was just going to say about the... Um, the uh, sort of the discourse around the um, club Q nightclub shooting and stuff. And sort of, I was just going to give an example from my life, a friend of mine who's very smart and a very, very sweet person. Um, I know she's like a big fan of, of drag Queens in general, stuff like that. She's like really loves drag shows. She posted a, um, she put, drag queens are awesome to be fair. Yeah. I mean, it's a totally, it's, this kind of goes along with what I'm going to say. Like it's, it's, a shame that like something that like in its fundamental form is basically completely innocuous as long as it's, you know, you'll see, I'll get to my point in a second, but basically it was like, she posted, you know, this thing that was like uh, some artwork that was like bite turfs and, you know, some sort of like, you know, sort of a simple meme that was basically just like, you know, uh, people complain about grooming, but then they're killing drag queens and stuff like that. And it was just sort of this weird thing where I feel like we're in this weird position where it's like the people who are way too conservative about the situation are like making the argument in a way that, that drag queens are like, that it's like the existence of drag queens or like any situation where a kid could see a drag queen is, is toxic, which I think is not true. You know what I mean? I think it's definitely can be argued that like there's situations that it's like it's sexualized and that's probably inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but like, but because of that, it, it's kind of going along with what you were saying. Like, I feel like it's like now people are just having this on or off switch argument where it's just like, oh, you're, you know, like you're, you're, you're against drag queens or you're question drag queens or whatever. You're a turf your blah, blah, blah. And I, I feel like it's just making it this weird thing where people can't admit that in some situations, regular adults maybe wouldn't want their kids to be in a sexual sort of, yeah. you and, know, situation. Well, it's, just, it's like everyone has to retreat to their corner and everyone's yes. just under siege. I, right. I, I feel like they just like recycle a small set of clips of weird yeah. events and the, the shit any kid would see on public billboards or on cable TV or on the iPads their parents give them for hours mm-hmm, a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it so, whereas I can understand 
I think some of the like gender identity curricula for four year olds, which is a thing that exists in some cases, yeah. are bad and not developmentally yeah. appropriate. Yeah, and I do um, I do agree with that. The conservative freak out over drag queen story hour, I find so bizarre. I also like I just sort of on this thing I defer to like Andrew Sullivan, who's just like Kids are fascinated by drag queens for the same reason they're sort of, if they are fascinated, like they're mm -hmm. like clowns to a kid. They don't understand. Yeah. There's yeah. obviously been some weird clips of like drag queens like opening their legs up and like twerking or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's weird. I think even there you're you're exaggerating the effect it's going to have a kid. These are, the kids don't know what's going on. So I, I find <laughs> groomer discourse really disgusting. And I really do think it, it echoes like, pretty old gross stuff people used to say about gay people um yeah it gets into that weird yeah that's a different yeah. question from whether it had anything to do with the shooting and and i think i just feel like if it did we would see some evidence of that and we have all this other evidence that this kid was like really disturbed and violent and from a very messed up family so right 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 be that it comes out but sorry i got us off track yeah. but um yeah. no that's okay i mean i think that you kind of summed up i guess my point that i was trying to make just talking about like my friend posting this thing that was like bite turfs and all this stuff it's like whereas i agree that the the conservative like the way that it's framed with like you know, like drag queens and bull it like a lot of that stuff veers into the, the area of, of homophobic, but then it's just this weird thing where like, it, it, you know, what you were just saying about um, on the media or whatever, it's like where it almost seems like the only other, the answer to that has to be just the other side where it's just like, the exact oh, opposite. You, right. And it's just like, it's like, it's just not crazy that like a normal parent would maybe be like, Hey, you know, these books are inappropriate or something like that. And then, you know, you're a turf if you blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you just, it's just so scary that it's just this ultra, you know, not to make a pun out of it, but binary, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like argument, because it's just like, I feel like so much. Oh, you just kid, uh, Mickey, you just cut out. Other folks can still hear me, right? Yeah. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Yeah. Oh, wait, you cut out your back. You're back. Oh, you I'm sorry. Binary. My alarm was going off for a second. Oh, uh, yeah, I was just okay. saying. Not to, uh, not to, you know, make a pun out of it and saying, uh, you know, it's binary, but it just seems like this argument where people are just like, it almost seems like people are like, we need to settle the issue, like drag queen story hours and, and, you know, sex graphic novels in all schools or none. And it's just like, this is a silly, weird, you know, I don't yeah, know. There's, I, a cla there's a classic, um, Simpsons Halloween special where Kane and Kodos were aliens. Oh yeah, I know the one you mean. Miniature yeah. American flags and yeah, they, they take. Yeah. I mean, just for folks who haven't heard, they take. For everyone should watch it. They take over the bodies of Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. This was '96. Uh, so classic. And they're trying to figure out how Americans do politics. So one of them gets up and goes, "Abortion for all." Everyone boos. Abortion for none, boo. Uh, abortion for some, miniature American flags for others, and everyone. I just butchered it, but anyway, that's the spirit of what it's. You're it's it's uh, perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I just was. I. I took up a lot of everyone's time, but uh, yeah, that was just my two cents. So. No, no worries. I guess. Yeah. My. Own, I'm, I'd be curious. Um, I'm gonna bump Joey to the front because we lost. Joey, uh, I'd be curious what percentage of Americans even know there is a conflict raging about drag queens. I feel like the average American, if you ask them, would just be like, "Hey, sorry." You know, sort of very one-sided coverage of the whole trans issue for him. I'm wondering if you think there's a lot of journalists that actually believe this stuff or if a lot of this conversation is just sort of 
you know, due to sort of institutional capture, you know, that there's sort of a momentum right now behind presenting this in one light. And I wonder if you think journalists are really kind of believing the stories that they're doing, or if you think they're kind of just sort of caught up in a wave and doing it because of the momentum behind it. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things. Like, I mean, I mentioned Joe Yurkuba. I, I could be butchering their last name and I, I can't look up at the moment. Um, I think some people are like true believers and, and really think like, I, I'm most familiar with the youth gender stuff, that these treatments are life-saving. And then if you work at NBC and this isn't your beat and Joe Yurkuba is being presented as an expert on it, you have no incentive to like lift your hand up and be like, oh, are we sure about this? Like there's just, there's, I think there is a little bit of a pluralistic ignorance thing where a lot of folks have questions and all the available public um, uh, survey research on, on gender identity stuff, it generally points to the idea that folks have like pretty nuanced views on it. I don't think most people are transphobic, but I think most people think that, you know, there's trade-offs to some gender identity stuff, especially when kids are involved or sports. So, um, uh, I'm sorry I lost you, so you can't respond to my response, but I, I think it's a mix of true believers and a lot of fear and pluralistic ignorance. I know that since I wrote about this in like 2016, I regularly heard from journalists who, including some at like the biggest outlets there are, who, who would never say a word about this, but who, you know, have questions. So, yeah. Hey, what is up? Hey, Jesse, how are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, I wanted to touch on uh, a seemingly uh, disparate uh, series of topics, uh, but I think there's a common theme that binds them. We touch on most of these topics uh, a lot of the time on these on these um, sessions, these following sessions, uh, but one of them uh, is, is a new one that I just want to introduce because I think it's part of the theme. Um, so the topics I just wanted to touch on were uh, mass shooters, Trump, Elon, Yay. And I'm going to add in uh, Cristiano Ronaldo as well. I just want to ask, see if you can guess what the topic I want to discuss is. Of the of all those topics, it's one? Like, there's a common theme, I think, yeah. Oh, wow. Trump, mass shooters, Ronaldo. I'm stumped, man, I got to say. So it's narcissism is uh, what I want to call <laughs> There we go. And I think, like, narcissism uh, is fascinating, kind of like psychological force, I think, and most powerful psychological force that shapes, or one of them anyway, that shapes our world today. And like, I think I started thinking about a lot with Trump, like over the last five years, whatever, because like he's a very obvious case study in narcissism. <clears throat> but uh, recently, with like Elon and Ye as well, like, and uh, also Cristiano Ronaldo, pretty uh, the week before last, he kind of had a narcissist meltdown. Just got me thinking a lot more about it and how, like, to me, it looks like a kind of a a double-edged sword like it can be a very constructive and powerful force in a positive sense sometimes in terms of like spurring individual achievement but at the same time it can be uh really really destructive as well and that's like where i think um uh like a good bring in the mass shooter side of things because i think like when narcissism is allied with like capability and talent and intelligence it probably drives some of these guys like to perform at the very peak of their abilities so that they're like uh like yay let's say or ronaldo or Elon. Um, whereby, like, you know, th their sense of self and sense of, you know, um, importance um, kind of spurs them on to, you know, achieve greatness. And then the world, uh, you know, uh, actually does reflect that 
you know, sense of superiority and greatness that they have about themselves, you know, in terms of their achievements, um, you know, set them apart, like Elon, Gay, Ronaldo, et cetera. But when it's not allied with that, like, talent and that uh, ability, and say, if you're just, like, a low-performing narcissist, that can, like, get you to a situation where, like, rather than reappraising your sense of self and whether you are as special and as important as you think you are, you just, like, lash out and look for scapegoats. And that's where, like, you know, the school shooters come in. Like, I, I think a lot of them are narcissists and um when they and, and they want attention they want and they want to display power because they feel like they've been you know, treated badly or whatever and then that these acts are just acting out um and but uh, and, and looking for you know attention that they love then the media coverage etc and it's all playing to their narcissistic tendencies um but yeah it's just i think a, a really really fascinating psychological phenomenon that like is very evident in most of the highest profile people we see in the modern world because i think we live in the age of the narcissist with social media like it's like uh you know an attention getting machine that like narcissists can hijack really well because like that's their drug of choice attention and so elon yay trump etc like they're all savants social media because like they're just manipulated to get people's attention i'm just wondering yeah what do you think yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, with like with the shooters, it's sort of speculation, although I'm sure some shooters have that. I, to me, what's interesting is the way. And again, we're we're diagnosing from afar, which is fraught and, you know, not usually a good idea, but I, I feel like the sorts of dysfunctional people who can like really take control of and ruin communities on Twitter and other online spaces, they, they often seem to have some signs of narcissism, narcissism or of like borderline personality disorder, which I think overlaps with narcissism in some ways. Yeah. And it's interesting how, like, if you're an, an unstable, unhinged person who's always accusing others of betraying you and not recognizing your greatness, and, and you always think you're a victim, even when you're, you know, the bully, um, that will lose you your friends in real life pretty quickly. But in a weird, fucked up way, it's actually adaptive in some online ecosystems. And, you know, I can think of examples of folks who got pretty far building their profiles in, in progressive ecosystems who just genuinely come across as unwell. I can't say for sure, obviously, because because I'm not their shrink, but just like their behavior is, is just so off and so bad and, and they get a constant ping of positive feedback for it. So um, I think that's maybe part of the reason a Musk or a Trump or yay is drawn to social media because like, especially because they're already world famous people, like they will be celebrated for, for these personality characteristics. And of course, like, you know, in terms of how like personality affects history, I've, I, I just think that's such a complicated question. Cause it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I've always been torn on that. Cause I, I think like we're so constrained by like all these historical forces, but then obviously once in a while certain personalities break through and, and the, their personality alone can can affect the shape of history, uh, which is interesting to think about. But yeah, yeah. Like the older I get, the more I do subscribe to that like uh, great man theory of history, great woman, whatever you want to call it. Like you know, that, that yeah, an individual's force of personality and, and, and can you know be seismic in terms of the, the effects it has on like you know the globe even. Yeah, it's, I'm just I'm thinking of like presidential candidates just because I mentioned Bob Dole. It's like. God, what was what was Bob Dole's personality, or or John Kerry's personality, or Mitt Romney's? And then you think of like Trump, who has 
more personality than anyone or like Bill Clinton, who, who famously just exuded personality and made everyone feel like he cared about them. Um, there's just there's so much human variation there. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of politicians as well are narcissists in terms of like uh, it, it attracts that type of personality. Um, but yeah, I think like the, the ones, the first ones you described there, like a lot of them are kind of dutiful politicians, like a Romney or a, like they're self-sacrificing, whereas the others like are like Trump is, is totally selfish. Like. Yes. And, and Kerry and uh, Romney both sort of came from those like slightly like aristocratic backgrounds. You know, Romney's dad, George Romney was governor of Michigan. There's like this, this tradition of like, I was going to say waspy, but Romney's obviously a Mormon, but like, you know, waspy public service, doing it for the good of the person, the, the like the noble aristocrat. Um, yeah. and I think that's just like a very different tradition personality wise. Cause you're maybe supposed to be a little bit self-effacing and not draw attention to yourself. Whereas Trump is just the polar opposite of all that. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, have a good night, man. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Suze, what is up? Hey, um, I was calling, I was wondering um, if you had any thoughts on uh, the WPATH letter responding to the New York Times. Is that something like you've uh, yeah, looked into I, or will write anything about? I'm debating whether to write about it. So basically, for, for folks not following this, um, uh, the New York Times had like a really important front page article on puberty blockers by Megan Toohey, who's like, uh, you know, uh, the, they're one of their two Me Too reporters, great investigative reporter. And um, the other one is it Christina, Christina Jewett, who's also, I think, like a health investigative reporter. And, and th this this was a really big deal. It was an A1 story making the points, um, not only making the points some of us have been making for a while, but like bringing in a lot more reporting than I've done on it. Um, and yeah, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health wrote a you know, a letter like really denouncing this uh, article that I did not find to be written in good faith. And I was particularly disturbed that it mentioned the Q shooting as though the Q shooting has fucking anything to do with like good faith investigative journalism on puberty blockers. The, you know, the on the media segment I mentioned did the same thing. So um, my problem is I, I I get too into this stuff, um, into like debunking stuff. And if I decide to debunk something, it will eat up, you know, four hours pretty easily. And then by that time tomorrow, there'll be, you know, just in the last few days, you had the WPATH letter, you had on the media, you'll have other stuff. So it might be worth responding to. I just, I struggle with it, but I, I found it a little bit disturbing to see like a professional organization um, going after journalist in an unfair way uh, over what I thought was a pretty good article. Yeah, I agree. I thought them bringing the Q shooting in was just astoundingly disgusting. Like, that's just not fair at all. And um, yeah, and then I'm not as familiar with the literature, of course. Um, but from what I read, it didn't sound like a lot of their articles held up. But I just feel like I would really, really value your debunking of it. I think you do an awesome job and like they're just always so valuable. So uh, if you if you do, that sounds awesome. Thank you, Thanks Steve. Taking appreciate, my call. appreciate the call. Yeah, the problem is like I'm um I'm I'm uh, talking to the class of uh, 
a, a buddy of mine, Alex Byron at MIT Monday. He's a, a professor there. And part of the talk has to do with epistemic closure, you know, which is this concept popularized by, um, well, sort of coined, sort of popularized by uh, Julian Sanchez in like 2010. At the time, Tea Partyism was just going fucking crazy. And there was like all this gonzo right wing media emerging, you know, Obama's a Marxist, Obama's a socialist, Obama wants to kill us all, blah, blah, blah. Really unhinged stuff. Um, and, you know, the idea of epistemic closure is like you could be a conservative and you have this entire media ecosystem that won't let truth in and that, um, you know, debunking won't come in. It's like the equivalent of young earth creationists who think the earth is 5,000 years old and they will ignore all the all the evidence to the contrary. It just sort of bounces off them and they have sources of their own quote unquote scientists proving it to them. So um, it worries me that a lot of major medical and mental health institutions are sort of, oh, dude, we have this bug again where um, whoever called in last, Suze, can you hear me this? I, there's been this very weird bug where folks who call and hang up and then are still on, which is awful. I think they got rid of it. I thought I heard something from it. Um, you basically have a whole ecosystem of like respected medical and mental health authorities recycling the same few studies and saying the same thing, that there's no real questions about these treatments. And I think that's really bad. I think we're building a version of what the right has, even if the right's fake news ecosystem is much, much worse. But um you know, WPATH should welcome good investing. When, when, as I think will happen when the lawsuits fly on this stuff, who's going to be hurt? WPATH will be hurt. People in the orbit of WPATH will be hurt because it'll be doctors getting sued for providing crappy care. So it's just not a good look or a good idea for WPATH to go after the New York Times for basically investigating the sorts of stuff folks within WPATH do. Um, Neil, what's up? Hey, Jesse. So I just call hey. in to ask because you just tweeted about how uh, you're very into EA, but fine long termism, baffling and wrongheaded. And just so many people came out after the SBF stuff, like against EA, effective altruism. Um, like so many people are like, oh, it's just like a total sham. It's just like rich people trying to feel better about themselves. But it's like, it's, it's not. It's like a total ethic. It's like there's lots of backing to it. And I just, it was really disappointing to see so many people who I, you know, like on a lot of other issues come out just wrong on, on this and like totally dismissing it just because one guy was a fraudster. I don't, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't even understand the argument against EA. Like what it, what it, it sounds like the argument is like bad guy did bad thing. Bad guy also used EA to sort of whitewash his, his greed or whatever, assuming that's what happened. None of that bears on whether it's like, if it's like if a guy said he was going to give billions of dollars to cancer research and then turned out to be Bernie Madoff, that doesn't call into question the importance of cancer research. Like, I don't even understand the argument against EA. I can understand EA involves weighing different things. Would it be better to improve the quality of 20 lives or save two lives, blah, blah, blah. That stuff will always be subjective. But um, I guess I fail to understand what the argument against EA even is at the risk of repeating myself. Yeah, exactly. I, I okay. I, that's reassuring because so many people like like think like three different people I follow were all like, oh, whatever. Like, and I just like so hearing you come out like in support of it is is reassuring. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, lo so long termism, I, I just have trouble with because I don't, I have not been able to get my brain to wrap itself around the idea that 
existing and living a pretty good life is better than not existing. I don't think you can compare existing to not existing because not ex it's just my brain seizes up on that. It's like a divide by zero error. And a lot of long-termism centers on the idea that, oh, if we can ensure a million people will live in 100 years and live pretty good lives, it might be worth it to sacrifice the well-being or the happiness of like actual living people today. I just, I, something is not clicking there. It could be, I'm just like too stupid. Yeah. Well, I don't, I'm not a long-termist either. So, you know, we're in agreement on this. I'm one. a, I'm a short-termist. So I just, all, like, I think we should do whatever will help me the most in my career. That's my view. That, that is a form of consequentialism actually. There's like, is it, is it, I think it's egoism. Or there's there's other types of consequentialism that are not utilitarian. I was just reading about this. It's actually really interesting. Oh, nice. Oh, uh, anyway. yeah. Maybe that that'll be my new philosophy. Yeah. Well. Thank you. Um. Yeah. Uh. So yes, on the on the just the last word, the epistemic closure thing worries me because like if you're looking into these issues for the first time. You know, you could open a Google Doc and be like, wow, look at these 10 institutions that support these medical treatments. And most people, just because they're busy or don't have, like, training, are not going to understand that if you, like, actually read the guidelines closely, they don't quite offer such an unvarnished endorsement of these treatments. And, you know, listening to on the media or Science Versus, which I wrote a long article about a while ago, um, just sort of mindlessly echoing certain claims. Like it would be one thing if they were doing it about like flu medication, but you're talking about permanent treatments for very young kids. Oh my God. Brooke Latson also um, treated as like debunked the idea that minors are getting surgery, which just at this point in 2022 top surgery. Yeah. Minors are getting top surgery and, and we don't know how many, it's not a tiny number. Um, so I often struggle with this. I really struggle with like the idea that there's, and this is sort of the subject of what I'm going to talk about Monday. Uh, this idea that we are unwittingly building ourselves our own bubbles where we spread misinformation to one another. And I do think like the right wing um, misinformation ecosystem is always going to be worse and more colorful. I just think for various reasons, they've had a head start. I don't know what it is. It could be something in the character of American conservatism, going back to like the John Birch society. It could just be that they were always the outsiders because mainstream media has always been pretty liberal. So they had to develop alternatives. Like, it could be a lot of stuff, um, but it just, I worry that we are catching up and uh, that's not good. Uh, let me get Joey back because he got cut off. Hey, Joey. You know, speaking of bubbles and things like that, and you hear sometimes people say that, you know, 40 years ago when we only had, you know, a few news outlets, you know, like NBC, you know, big, big nightly news. Hey, Joey, I'm getting a lot of like scra have, scratching you know, or moving on the mic. Stuff. You know, there's there, lots of different ideas floating around. And I guess I'm wondering, do you think the, the, new, the media landscape, I mean, do you think it's better with all of the possible outlets that we have today. I mean, I find it very valuable to have someone like you that I can subscribe to and listen to. And yet also there's, because someone like you has something, you know, with your purview, there's lots of other things out there that uh, have, in my opinion, it's pretty terrible views on things. And I guess I'm wondering, do you think this landscape currently is better than it was when we had fewer media outlets? 
Yeah, I think I think overall it's better. Um, and and sorry, you were having some sort of mic issue there, so you're scratchy. Um, overall, it's better. Just this is tricky. So in nineteen, man, I guess it depends what you mean by better. So so in nineteen seventy, every mid-sized city had like a pretty good newspaper that would actually cover stuff, and that age is just over. So we're definitely like much worse now. I don't think the proliferation of like Substacks and podcasts is leading to better reporting. I think we probably have more and better commentary and a wider variety of commentary for like different niche subjects than ever before. My biggest concern, um, and I feel guilty because I benefited from the shift. My biggest concern is just the death of like actual reporting. Cause I think a lot of the problems in media boil down to the fact that all the real, almost all the real journalists got laid off and there's nobody you know, covering a lot of places, basically. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Sean. Uh, let's end with uh, Shauna. I got to roll out. Hey, Shauna. Hello. Am I coming in okay? Looks like you are. Okay. Uh, well, happy belated Thanksgiving. I got to get my normie, annoying, cheerful normie stuff out of the way. Um, <laughs> so happy, happy Thanksgiving belated to you Thanksgiving. Too. And I had a, a question, and I feel like you have talked about this on, on BarPod with regards to some of the terminology. And um, so specifically referring to top surgery and bottom surgery, and I want to ask this in a, in a respectful manner, but at the same time, I find that using these terms is not not offensive. I, I, don't, I don't get offended at it, but the idea of not using obfuscatory real language and real i'm sorry that it's like ob obfuscatory it obscures what the procedures are yes and it's almost in a in a juvenile manner for lack of a better term um like call a spade a spade i feel like the idea and i think katie has harped on this before calling a, a double mastectomy top surgery minimizes these really invasive procedures. And I'm just curious in the history and the the reasoning behind calling it top surgery and bottom surgery, if you know. I don't know. I would imagine it's to make it sound, um, you know, less serious or less of a big deal. I, 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 I at one point mentioned like a key paper on top surgery barely use the term mastectomy, even though it was a medical paper. So no, I mean, I get what you're saying. I just, I'm, I've never been one who thinks like those little matters of language matter that much. So I think I sort of use them interchangeably. Um, I don't, I just don't think it matters that much. I do think they're trying to like obscure the seriousness of the treatments, uh, but I don't know. I can't say it's something I've worried about that much, but I, I do understand your argument. Yeah, I think it is sort of a, a for debate because i i'm of the school that i do think language matters i do think terminology matters and how it's used and adopted uh, especially when it's it may be used to as you mentioned before sort of minimize the severity or i'm going to interpret it as such especially if i'm just speaking to someone who's younger who is considering these surgeries um, I think it's even more important to use correct, specific medical terminology um, because I do overall, especially when you're dealing with young adults, um, 
I just, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. So I'm curious, I'm curious on, on the history exactly. of it. Yeah, I, do, I don't know the history of it. It'd be interesting to see when those terms first uh, poked in in the discourse. But uh, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, Connor, and I uh, appreciate the call. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good you day. Too. You too. Um, all right, guys, that is it. I'm in my hometown. I'm going to go get dinner with my dad, I believe. But uh, thank you for listening. As always, I would just ask you to spread the word about the show. Tell other folks what I'm doing here. And, yeah, check out my uh, newsletter and podcast if you'd like to. And on the off chance anyone here uh, in the Boston area wants to come see me talk at 1 p.m. on a Monday, uh, I shouldn't say that. I'm doing it. I'm, like, talking to a class. It'll also be public, but I'm not expecting a huge turnout. But, uh, yeah, 1 p.m. Monday, I tweeted out the details. So uh, all are welcome. Thank you, guys. Have a good rest of your weekend.